One of the most iconic brands that I love to teach about is Nike. From the beginning of Nike, Nike has done something differential. As other shoe brands have come and gone, risen and fallen, found ways through the market, but then lost them again, Nike has remained true to their purpose. They understand that as their type of business, they have to do one thing and one main thing, right? Let's find out today what that is. On today's episode of Strategy Simplified, I'm going to talk about one of the world's most iconic brands. And just by saying that, it might give you a clue into what kind of cost structure this brand has. The company is Nike. The swoosh is known around the world. And there are a lot of things about Nike that you may know, but others that you might not. And in particular, we're going to take a deep dive just into the operating history of Nike, but also potentially more interestingly, or more importantly, we're going to talk a little bit about how Nike came to be the kind of company that it is, what kind of cost structure it has, and why it's done the right things in the right way in order to get there. So Nike is a multinational corporation based in Portland, and Nike is a company that's been around for a long time, since 1971. In fact, the company really became Nike in 1971, but it was around for seven years before that. It was run by Phil Knight who became the iconic leader of Nike for a long time, and then Bill Bowerman. And Phil Knight was one of the professors at Portland State University. The Nike swoosh came into being in 1971 when one of the women that was in a class with him, he was trying to support through different classwork that she was doing. He asked her to do some design work. One of the pieces of design work was the Nike swoosh that she created. And the fame story is that she charged $35 on her invoice for the price of designing the Nike swoosh. She stayed around and did some more designs for Nike over the next couple of years and later was rewarded with a generous stock gift and a party in her honor. If it weren't for her, maybe the swoosh would never have existed. Nike has had many pieces of its story over its history, but one of the things that has been very true throughout the entire history of Nike is that it's been the same kind of business. Unlike other companies like Amazon that have transitioned their business model over time, Nike has maintained true form in the same kind of business that it started in at the beginning, just expanding the number of athletes that they cover, the number of industries that they serve in, the number of regions where they offer their services and more particularly their products. Nike has had a number of really famous moments in its career. Starting in 1988, Nike began the Just Do It campaign, which has become a core part of its advertising slogans. In addition, Nike really became an iconic brand as it began to focus on large athlete contracts. Perhaps the most famous of all time was the one that they had with Michael Jordan. What made Nike so powerful in an industry with a lot of other comers and a lot of other goers? Well, Nike understood from a very early point who they were and what they were. They were more than a shoe company. They were a company with a very specific cost structure, and they needed to be able to support that. Nike is a brand and a premium brand, and brands serve one primary purpose, to push up the price that you're willing to pay significantly above what the variable costs are. That's right, Nike is a variable cost business. If Nike were a fixed cost business, it would focus on having its shoes everywhere. Instead, Nike focuses on for each transaction, making the price represent the largest gain over the variable cost. 
One other thing that's important to note about a variable cost business is that you could, other than supporting price, which has been Nike's primary focus and one of the ways that they've really driven success in the business over time, focus on the cost side, focus on the unit cost. You could produce shoes that are cheaper, or you could produce them in places where labor is less expensive. And some of Nike's controversy has come when they have prioritized labor inexpense or lower labor rates per shoe, rather than focusing on humane and stable working conditions. Nike has navigated through those crises, but probably more importantly, figured out that their primary footing is on solutions that have equity for the workers whether they are in low cost areas or not, and really focus on that price delta more than anything. We'll be right back after this quick message. If you're thinking about breaking into consulting, Management Consulted has developed the world's best interview prep program, Black Belt. It gives you eight sessions with an expert coach, as well as tons of amazing digital resources. And the focus is tailored to your performance, not anyone else's, just yours, to help make sure that you have the best chance of success you can possibly have. Check it out, managementconsulted.com. Now to verify this, let's go over to Nike's financial statements and take a look at Nike's history for the last couple of years. Well, Nike is a really interesting one to look at because we actually have financial data that begins in 2018, at the end of May in 2018, and then goes through the end of May in 2020. So out of many of the companies that we've looked at, it includes the COVID effect. And we can see that effect really directly. We see that Nike had $36.4 billion in revenue in 2018 to $39.1 in 2019, and then $37.4 in 2020. And then when we look immediately, we can see what the major cost expenditures are to see whether this is a variable cost or a fixed cost business. So Nike has cost of sales at $21.2 billion in 2020, uh, 21.6 in 2019, uh, 20.4. But uh, no matter what, all of those represent a more than 50% cost of sales. Um, and so by nature, if Nike is making a profit at all, then that's going to mean that they are a variable cost business, which in fact, we see that they are. Then we look at the other two big line items in terms of their expenses, their selling and administrative expenses. They have a line item expense. I just love companies that are creative. They call it the demand creation expense. It's the uh, marketing speak for marketing and sales cost. So that includes things like their endorsements, their advertising campaigns, etc. Um, so those are big numbers in the billions, right? 3.6 billion, 3.8 billion, 3.6 billion, but they're not as big as you might expect and certainly not as big as it costs to actually manufacture the products and services that Nike sells. Uh, in addition, they have overhead expense, which you would expect for them to see. And that overhead expense did not decrease uh, during COVID despite the sales. So it increased with probably an expectation that they were going to have a much higher ramp up of the sales because they had been on a pretty significant growth trajectory of at least around 8 to 10% a year. Um, the interest expense is there, which of course you're going to see you have a little bit of an income tax expense, um, but you do have profit for Nike, right? 1.9, um, 4 billion in profit uh, down to 2.5. What do I love about Nike? I love the fact that when my kids come home from the playground, they say that Nike shoes make them faster. That is an incredible brand equity that Nike has created that pushes them to ask 
for example, their grandparents every time that they're coming up on a birthday or a holiday for Nike shoes. And so when you're able to get kids into a brand story that young, that's an incredible thing. That's part of the brand promise that Nike involves. That is part of what will enable somebody to pay more for a Nike product. Another thing that I think is really interesting is that Nike is beginning a foray into other services, and the services side of the business is a very profitable business. Um, whereas Nike has expanded into other segments of industry, which are maybe not as profitable as their core shoe segment, sections like golf, which are and can be profitable, but other sections which maybe aren't as much. Um, there are some challenges that they've had in that diversification. But with services, you have this really tremendous opportunity to capitalize, like Amazon has done, on shifting your variable cost business into a business that is less price sensitive and where you're able to monetize truly loyal customers to stick with you and to spend more money with you. Uh, so I do think that that's a big opportunity for Nike going forward. But ultimately, this kind of brand that has been around for such a long time still commands a premium, is able to endure and build their brand story to support that price difference on the contribution margin side is really incredible. Well done, Nike. If you enjoyed this episode of Strategy Simplified and you're interested in having us unpack other companies, send us their names to team at managementconsultant.com. We do big businesses and it's fun to look at their financial statements, but we love talking about small businesses, government enterprises, and other organizations as well. So if you have any organization that you just want to understand better, please send it over to us. In addition, if you're practicing for cases, get ready. You could get a case on Nike or Amazon or any of the other cases that we have featured here on this, the podcast. But if you also want help with practice for behavioral or for case interviews, we would love to help. You can reach out to us, managementconsultant.com. Thanks so much for joining today.